0: In this episode of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast.
1: You know, I really suffered. I raced triathlons for 15 years, and then I spent the next 15 years training like I was a professional athlete. Right. (laughs) And I used so much of the exercise, the over-exercising. Exercise is great. I am a huge fan of exercising. I love to exercise. But there's there's a tipping point where the exercise and the running is keeping you in this sympathetic overdrive. And when we've had trauma, and if you have, if your system is is geared more towards a fight, a fight or flight um, physiology, right? You don't go into a freeze, which was me. I was always in, I was always in this high overactivation, hyperactive, needing to move physiology it, it, so it be, it was overused. And I, I exercised excessively. And I, you know, I, in, in the midst of something not being right, I had done so much talk therapy. I was finishing up a master's in mental health counseling. And I was working in an eating disorder clinic. I was doing my internship there. And several of the clinicians were um, trained in somatic experiencing. And I was like, I was kind of curious about it. And I went and I did the first training and they, they explained all the stress physiology and a light bulb went off for me. I'm like, this is the missing link because I had done so much talk therapy and I had been, and I still felt in my, my forties, I still felt totally dysregulated Mm -hmm. and I'm like, there has to be another way. So that's how i got to this work i just i'm like it was the first thing that made sense and then i started as i went started going through the trainings and i'm using it with my clients i could not believe the results i was getting
0: welcome back to another enlightening episode of the podcast i'm your host nikki Tamburino, also known on instagram as one classy mother runner I'm an RRCA certified running coach, author, and the founder of Sanity Loading, a company dedicated to promoting optimism around personal growth and self-satisfaction. Every release, we bring you experienced guests, compelling research, and expert knowledge so that you can continue to inspire others through our sport, regardless of your pace, place, or experience. If you align with the message we are promoting through this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes that explore the notion that maybe running will help. Hey guys, I am so excited about this topic today. Um, I want to read you a clip from an article I read that actually got me thinking about trauma and the connection to running and why I ended up reaching out to our guests today. So the article in Psychology Today was called Running Through Trauma and it states that running may also work on the exact system that is hijacked by the trauma response, discomfort in the stomach, difficulty breathing, increased heart rate, and overall muscle tension. The author seemed to be promoting running, saying by using running to teach the body that it can experience these sensations while staying safe and in control, the individual can help work through these previously stuck sensations and help the body restore to a balanced state. Now our guest today while agreeing that trauma survivors may be drawn to running believes over exercise in the form of running may be indicative of a need to release trauma stored in the nervous system. Today we're going to learn about somatic healing and how trauma gets trapped in our body and what that looks like from a symptom perspective like compulsive running. I'm excited to bring you Eileen Smith. She is a somatic experiencing practitioner. And the author of Moving Beyond Trauma, The Roadmap to Healing from Your Past and Living with Ease and Vitality. But I'll let her introduce herself as we dive into this fascinating topic.
1: So my name is Eileen Smith. I'm the author of a book called Moving Beyond Trauma, available on Amazon. Um, I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner, which I'll explain to you in a minute. And um, I love this work. I really believe that we have to heal trauma by bringing the body into the healing process. I think talk therapy is a wonderful tool to help you gain a greater understanding of who you are and maybe where you've come from. And it certainly helps deepen the relationship that you have with yourself, as well as giving you an empathic listener. And that's not the whole story to healing trauma. So I'm going to explain a little bit about how I see trauma and why we need to bring the body into the healing process. So we often think of trauma as an event. But trauma is really the energy that gets locked in the body around real or perceived threat. And this explains why so many people, you can have 10 people that have the same stressful experience and have 10 different outcomes of how people relate to the world after they've been in that experience. So let's start with this, this idea that trauma is that energy that gets locked in our body around real or perceived threat. So the reason why you may have 10 different outcomes has everything to do with how resilient a person is going into the experience and how safe they feel in the aftermath of an experience. And this is why it's so important. Like, let's say there's a natural disaster, why it's so important to get first responders there immediately. So think about that, right? So, So... you know, getting people shelter and all that stuff. So that's just, that's one, one example. But we, we, I think the trauma that you and I are going to wind up talking a little bit more about today has to do with what we call complex PTSD. So I hate labels, but just for, this is just an easier way, easier way for us to kind of look at the different, different ways we become traumatized. Okay. So... A lot of times right we think of that event we think of but it, right okay, it's the energy that gets locked in the body, but trauma is not necessarily one event. Um, we have, when we say complex PTSD, it's a series of stressful experiences that we've had along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many times what you see is somebody that's had complex stress and trauma throughout their life. And they go into adulthood and they wind up using all sorts of maladaptive ways to cope with what is really happening with the dysregulated nervous system. They can't really manage the intensity that they're feeling in their system. And
0: because it's complex and it's a bunch of different events, you may not really recognize what's going on. So you may only be after you're exhibiting some of the maladaptive behaviors, right? That you're like, oh, let's figure this out.
1: Yeah, and a lot of times what happens is people will know that something in their life doesn't feel right. right. Okay, something doesn't feel right. I don't feel connected. I hear things like, I feel like I'm, I'm, um, have, I'm not connected to my experiences, I'm having an outer body experience. Um, I I don't feel right. I don't feel as though um, nothing feels vital in my life. Um, I I don't I don't feel a sense of joy. I may not feel anything. So a lot of times it'll show up in those sort of ways. Um, and and trauma can happen start very early on. It can hap- start in utero. Yeah, so I wanted, the, that's so interesting. Yeah. So something is simple like you have to remember a baby in utero is basically being beginning to have any, its nervous system is developing based on the nervous system of the mom. So if the mom is stressed during pregnancy, all those stress hormones are being given to the baby. So the nervous system isn't necessary. It's going to develop with like high cortisol and all these stress hormones sort of impacting a baby. So the baby's already feeling that stress physiology in utero. Wow. Right? Well, so then it's, it's really interesting. And the take it one step further. OK, maybe you have a traumatic birth. Something, is, uh, something like an emergency C-section, a cord gets wrapped around your neck, um, a long labor, um, Pitocin, all of those things are going to impact the stress physiology of that baby. And something, it's really interesting, something as simple as a baby pushing off the vaginal walls is regulating for a baby to come into the world. That's that, so all of that stuck, stuff is stuck in our implicit memory. Explicit is what we actually remember. Implicit is what we don't remember. What we okay. don't, we don't have any, any, any recollection, but it's in there, right? So the, mm-hmm. it's hel- all held in the body. So, so take, yeah. take it one step further than that. Okay, now this baby's born. And you have a mom that has a dysregulated nervous system. So maybe they're not as attuned to the child. When the mother holds the baby, how does the baby co regulate through touch? So if a mom's nervous system is all jacked up, think about what that does to a baby's, a baby's nervous system. You know, I, I think of, a, I think of a, a situation, and I think this kind of will give, a, give you an idea of, of what it really looks like. So my nephew, had um he had a tr- he had a stressful birth his the cord got wrapped around his foot and mm-hmm. he, he you know he stopped breathing and and you know everything it turns out it's fine she, my sister wound up having a vaginal birth and but my nephew my be- my nephew was one of these babies oh he's such a good baby and as he grew into a young adult he was almost, the way, the way what we actually, what actually happened is his system sort of got into a freeze, right? So we have fight, flight, or freeze. That's our stress physiology. And there's some other ones, but for, for right now, let's just talk about those three. So if fight or flight doesn't work, right? So in, the, in utero, he's trying to fight to get the cord untangled. Fight and flight didn't work. He had nowhere to go. His body went into a freeze. So if, if fight or flight do, doesn't work, your system will go into a freeze. It actually, it's what happens before you actually are going to die. A lot of, a lot of animals, what they do is they go into a collapse so they don't have to feel the, um, what death or that kind of getting mauled or something will feel like. So my nephew, this is my interpretation of it, his body went into a freeze, and the good baby was just the baby that was still in a freeze, and then he, he was a young adult, and he, he, he just never got out of that freeze. And even today, he's, he's in his 20s, he's you know, he's a, he's a high-functioning kid, but he doesn't, I mean, him and I talk about this a lot, he doesn't necessarily feel a lot. He doesn't feel intense joy or intense sadness. Everything is sort of, he's still, in, I think his system's still in the freeze, and he's done a ton of talk therapy but yeah. he's never gotten he's never really dealt with unwinding that stress physiology. How
0: do you get out of that? Mm-hmm. How do you get out of the freeze? But then I also want to talk about what if you're stuck in one of the other two? How, is it different <laughs> to get out of those two?
1: Well, it's a good question, a good question. So, we have so really what happened to my nephew is he lost any sense of safety that he would have being in his body. Right. So, that's where the freeze comes in. So we have to restore that sense of safety. So that's why you know, creating a program for him where he, would, where he would start experiencing more embodiment and getting into his body differently, or actually getting into his body at all. Right? He's, he's, there's a total disconnect to the body. So how does he
0: do that? What does embodiment mean?
1: Well, there's a million ways to do it. So as a somatic experience practitioner, if he was my patient... I would probably do a lot of things, a lot of movement things with him. I would probably do a lot of stuff on, the, um, on a ball, on the, um, an exercise ball, to actually help him um, re-experience his birth. Oh, okay. um, you, there's a lot you can do with the ball. You can actually see what happened in, in, through a birth process. So I'd, I'd probably do some things with him on the ball. I would have him use a foam roller every day to start create, creating connection with his body. I have to be careful because this is somebody who's 20 something years old and has never really been embodied. So you have to you have to, do, you, have to do, you have to create slow entry points. Right. And it's finding finding out which senses he's most grounded in, which, you know, is he if he's more dominant in sound than versus um, touch, which I think he is. And we'd, we'd do exercises. We'd get him outside doing things with sounds. Um, okay. And so there's different ways to do it. I mean, I'd love to get him to do some movement, but that would be down the road to get, because that would be threatening to him if I said, you know, I want you to dance five minutes every day get, you know, be, get naked and get naked and start dancing. (laughs) Right. He would, you know, it'd be, he'd be totally freaked out because that. taking it to zero to like a 10. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and the slower you go to help someone create embodiment, the faster you get there. But you have to be careful not to dysregulate the nervous system in the process. But. Okay, so in a situation like that, like
0: obviously, you know, um, what your nephew's been through because your family and stuff like that. But when somebody comes to you, you're not going to know that their, you know, foot was caught in the umbilical cord, or right? Whatever. Right. So, <laughs> so um, n- do you necessarily not need that background to work with somebody if they don't know that? Like, where do you start?
1: So, right, more information is helpful. And one of the things that I don't do with my clients is take an extensive trauma history because most of the people that come to me have been to several other treatments before me. And they don't want to tell their story again. I think they they feel there's a sense of threat having to go through the story again. So I always start out with, I want you to tell me as much or as little as you want to tell me, because eventually we're going to get to the real story of what the body's doing. Mm. And so we may, I may learn about a client more through their daily habits, um, through their maladaptive behaviors. It's almost like reverse engineering it. Yeah. So let's start with where we are. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I can, I can piece together, somebody's story without actually knowing the story because I'm really I'm really looking looking at what's going on in the body. Okay, if somebody comes to me and they they're like telling me that, you know, they that they're talking, they tell me about their eating disorder behaviors. I'm I don't need I I mean I've never met, let's start with this, I've never met an eating disorder patient that doesn't have a trauma history, including myself. And all I need to know is what's going on now so we can start regulating the nervous system. And once we start doing some, some regulation and, we, and, the, and the person starts feeling safer within themselves, all the other stuff is gonna get talked about or dealt with with the body in a very different way and way more organically than showing up in a talk therapy session and like verbally vomiting everything all over the place. 100%. Right, because what happens, you just you just walk out of that session feeling totally dysregulated. Yeah,
0: and a lot of times with, um, I mean, in my experience with therapy, you tell your story, and once it's all out, it's like, okay, now what? Like exactly. <laughs> like, okay, I've, I've told it a
1: million times, and like, it's, I'm still, I'm still, I I'm still, do, I'm, I still <laughs> feel dysregulated. Yeah. Well, it's 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 so true, and like, we spend so much time. Trying to understand why, thinking if we understand why, we're going to wrap it up in a bow and move on. And that's just not the case. What we really need to do is learn how to be with what we're experiencing because every emotion has a sensation. Yeah. And so, how do we learn to move through those sensory experiences with safety? And, and, and a sense of mastery. And that's really what we're trying to do in somatic experiencing, is to help a person restore their sense of safety, to be able to tolerate their emotional states without going into um, maladaptive ways of dealing with it. So it's really working with that stress physiology and, yeah. and bringing the body to a place where the nervous system feels more, more manageable or more regulated.
0: the things that drew me to you originally is reading your experience, um, your personal experience and how you came into this whole like field. So, um, if you don't mind, I'd love to go back to when you, um, you know, when you first started you were a runner and, and you were kind of dealing with some trauma of your own. Can we go back and kind of tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Well, I, You know, I really suffered. I raced triathlons for 15 years, and then I spent the next 15 years training like I was a professional athlete. Right. And I used so much of the exercise, the over-exercising. Exercise is great. I am a huge fan of exercising. I love to exercise. But there's there's a tipping point where the exercise and the running – is keeping you in this sympathetic overdrive and when we've had trauma and if you have if your system is is geared more towards a fight a fight or flight um physiology right you don't go into a freeze which was me i was always in i was always in this high over activation hyperactive needing to move physiology it it so it be it was overused and I I exercised excessively.
0: How like what? So we know like kind of like you gave an example of how somebody gets stuck in the freeze um, mm-hmm. freeze thing. How does somebody get stuck in like fight or flight? Like what kind of experiences would that be?
1: You know, everyone's different. Okay. Um, all right. Let's let's go to freeze first because that's easy. As a child. If you or fight or flight doesn't work and you have no ability to defend yourself, you're going to shut down in order to survive. So I grew up in a house where there was all sorts of chaos. And so there was always fighting. So I only knew, I only knew how to communicate by yelling. I only knew how to communicate by like, I'm out of here. So for me, fight or flight sort of was always just the way that I dealt with things. So I, there was always, I didn't have to go into freeze. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's mostly fight or flight so I was stuck in that that fight or flight will put you in like high activation sympathetic overdrive in the nervous system because you have sympathetic and parasympathetic so sympathetic is high and the parasympathetic is you're shutting everything down like your rest and digest in order to survive like you have to conserve energy Um, and so at some point, I realized, like, something's not right here. And I, you know, I, in, in the midst of something not being right, I had done so much talk therapy. I was finishing up a master's in mental health counseling. And I was working in an eating disorder clinic. I was doing my internship there. And several of the clinicians were um, trained in somatic experiencing. And I was like, I was kind of curious about it. And I went and I did the first training and they they explained all the stress physiology and a light bulb went off for me. I'm like, this is the missing link because I had done so much talk therapy and I had been, and I still felt in my, my forties, I still felt totally dysregulated mm-hmm. and I'm like, there has to be another way. So that's how I got to this work. I just, I'm like, it was the first thing that made sense. And then I started, as I went, started going through the trainings and I'm using it with my clients, I could not believe the results I was getting.
0: Why does a dysregulated nervous system cause something like an eating disorder?
1: Because it's a great question. You're trying to find some way to manage all of the intensity of emotions or the or what you don't feel you, you either feel too much or feel too little and it's some way, to it's a maladaptive way of trying trying to regulate those those uncomfortable experiences.
0: Okay, and then the same with like running or or getting a, a obsessive about exercise, right? Yeah,
1: it's it's just a mal Like I just if I didn't exercise, I thought I, I felt like I was crawling out of my skin.
0: Yes, that is the one thing that you mentioned,
1: and I was like, I know that feeling. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, if, and if, and also if you're used to operating in that sympathetic overdrive, that's what the excessive running will do to you. It puts you in, it puts you in a sympathetic, um, sympathetic state. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Is it the same thing with like always trying to keep busy? Like never like people that just like can't sit still, like you're always trying to keep busy. Like, like before we got on this phone call, I was a couple minutes late because I, I am not somebody who is like, like I'll be on time, but I'm not going to be early. Like, I can't stand waiting around. Like, I won't right. do things till the last minute. I'll be like, oh, I think I can put one more load of laundry in yeah. before I, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah.
1: It's that sympathetic overdrive. Like, it's probably really hard for you to do nothing.
0: Yeah. 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 It's like uncomfortable. It's it's
1: uncomfortable for your system because your system, your system's like vibrating like a lot, like a high yeah. vibration. Yeah. And so, like the work there is to teach your body that it's safe if it stops, because that's what happens in sympathetic overdrive. If I stop, I will die.
0: So top down therapy is the therapy that starts with your mind, right? I mean, that's yeah. Yep. Your therapy.
1: executive, executive function, functioning your logic. And, and we believe that, our brains are smarter than our bodies, but the truth of the matter is our bodies know better than our brains. And so the talk therapy, yes, it's all top down, whereas something like somatic experience or any other body-based modalities are going to be working with the most primitive part of the brain to try and resolve what's going on. And because the the language of the most primitive part of the brain, the rep, what we call the reptilian brain, the language of that that part of the brain is sensation. Mm-hmm. So so this is about creating a more extensive somatic vocabulary to be able to put words to those experiences and to be safe enough to move through each one of those those sensory experiences.
0: Okay, so can we actually talk about a little bit about the different parts of the brain? Because sure. yeah like so the part of the brain that deals with the you know what you're talking the somatic thing versus mm-hmm. like well the, the
1: brain stem and the system. limbic <laughs> brain stem and limbic, limbic system so like let's let's break it down it's much easier to look at it as the brain has three parts it has the cognitive the executive functioning the limbic system where the emotions are and the brain stem is where our survival our reptilian brain is where our survival physiology lies. Um, so so yes, in, in talk therapy you're gonna work with the most the executive part. So with with stress physiology, you're working with the brain stem, the t- reptilian brain, the part of the brain where fight, flight or freeze resides where your stress physiology resides and it's it has no language Mm -hmm. okay then the limbic system which is the emotional part of the brain that plays into that plays into it as well can get hijacked and go into these like negative feedback loops and you see this a lot when people have chemical sensitivity or ocd Mm. yeah and so and then you obviously have the executive functioning, which is, which is the higher functioning part of the brain. So in somatic, the somatic work, we're working more with the brainstem and the limbic system. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times the, the excessive running will come from that, just that, that, that survival physiology and, and needing to keep moving. So you don't die. Right. Something, something to think about. And, and a lot of times, you know, the running too, is a way for you to actually start feeling embodied or mm. it's a way for you to dissociate and feel and not feel anything you know both of those That's things do happen yeah both of those things do happen
0: so how you know somebody who may be using running um to deal with something that they should really be getting treatment for how would you identify that like I think one of the things you said was like that feeling of as if you don't run, you feel like you're coming out of your body like that clearly would be like a sign. Are there any other things that people can look out for?
1: Sure. Are you running through injuries that you shouldn't be running through? Are you running when your body's tired? Are you able to listen to what your body needs or are you stuck in this rigidity of this is what, this is what my training plan is. You know, I have to do this. So how, how much are you, or are you not listening to what your body needs? Um, you know, so much of the time I, I, so many, so much of what I see is the excessive exercising and running as a way to beat the body up, you know, Mm not, you know, not really having a lot of self-compassion. Um, you know, the other thing too, is a lot of times people are using the running, you know, there's exercise bulimia. So are you using the running as a way to manage, you know, calorie burn? Right. So things like that. Um, so I, those, those would be the big ones, I think.
0: And you have in your book, um, which has so much helpful information, including your personal experience, um, which just really helps to illustrate like everything that you're talking about. You also have, um, chapters with, um, questions for people who, to kind of identify, um, you know, what's going on, their stress physiology, Yes. can you tell me a little bit more about um, about what you're assessing for and how that
1: uh, sure? Are, yeah, what they're doing. So I developed um, a series of assessments for um, the reader to start looking at how their nervous system is functioning. So whether you're functioning in you know are you fight flight or freeze dominant? Um, another one of the assessments is how um, how is your past trauma? impacting your life today not how traumatized are you but what's the impact of it Um, are you do you go into a collapse or do you mobilize Um, so those are those are some of the ideas of of, it's basically how are you functioning in your day-to-day and how is your stress physiology or what's locked in your body impacting how you're moving through the world
0: and is that, are these kind of the same things you would do with a client in your session? Like th- that's, this is the kind of assessment yeah. you would do. I,
1: I like to, I like the clients to be able to see how their nervous system is functioning. I think yes. it's really important because if you name it, you can work with it. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of, it's sort of, we have to bring attention, right? If, if the framework is, is somatic, is, is the body, we have to bring attention to what we're doing with our bodies.
0: Again, loved your book, loved Thank you. learning about every time I hear you on a podcast or something, I learn something new. So I think what you're doing is just so interesting. And so where can we learn more about you? Where, where can people reach out to you or find you?
1: Um, so you can reach out to me on Instagram, Eileen Smith Healing. Eileen is I-L-E-N-E. Um, also, you can go to my website. There's lots of good information there. And that is smith.com. So those would be the two two places.
0: Um, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. And now it's time for final thoughts. Yeah, and and what I love with your book is you provide this assessment, but then you also have tools. Um, for readers to once they've done the assessment to kind of work with with what yeah. they learned about themselves, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things I was wondering if you would be able to share, like you know, one of these tools um, that that may might help anyone, um, you know.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. the the easiest and the mo and the easiest one to do, and it's available for you to do at, at any given moment, is when you feel like your stress physiology is is you know sort of out of balance you can do this any time of day you can you can grab your arms and just wrap like you're, you're basically giving yourself a hug and the idea of this is that when we have a disnerv- n- dysregulated nervous system we lose our ability to understand where we begin and end so it's basically feeling the outer boundaries of your body mm. and to re- it's, it hel- it's, a, it's a way to help you bring yourself back to the present moment and, and a lot of the exercises in there are about bringing, your, bringing yourself back to the present moment. Think about how many times you've driven from point A to point B. You don't even remember how you got there. Pull over on the side of the road if you're driving. Turn on your favorite music. Close your eyes and just feel the outer boundaries of your body. It's available to you anytime. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. great exercise.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. Please leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening to if you enjoyed the show. It helps us to grow and reach more people with the intention to provide hope to others through our community. Finally, please consider joining us on Patreon. In addition to keeping the podcast ad-free, your membership gets you exclusive access and merchandise not available to the general public. Together, we can show others that running and our community will help.